Well, good morning, everybody. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you today, we're going to have them up on the screen. We'll get there in just a minute. Well, we're continuing today through our series on the Beatitudes, and we're looking today at the fourth Beatitude, which is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now, guys, I want to tell you something. This week has been incredibly convicting for me personally. Big time, (laughs) and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you what I mean by that. For me, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, is something that the Lord has been really gracious to give me in my own life. I, by his grace, deeply realize my inadequacy, um, that apart from him, I'm in spiritual poverty. I get that, I believe that. And so poverty of spirit is not something that I sort of struggle to walk out and live in. The second beatitude is uh, where you mourn over your sin, and that's something that I actually see occurring in my life more often than not. When I sin and fall short of the glory of God, I realize that my sin ultimately is against the Lord, and so I grieve that and I mourn that. Third beatitude was meekness, which is power under control for the benefit of others. I definitely don't always do that well. But it's an area in my life that I'm growing in, and I see myself responding more often than I used to in my youth in kindness and in patience and love towards people. And so that's something that I I see myself growing in. But this fourth beatitude was so convicting to me that there was a point in my preparation where, true story, I literally stopped and just put the pen down and I bowed my head and said, God, I don't see this consistently in my life like I should. And so I need you to do a work in me. And I have a feeling that there may be a lot of us like that here today. And so let's jump in together. Let's read this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It is an intense verse by Jesus. You've heard it probably so often in your life. You breeze through it. But we can't do that today. Jesus is calling us to a radical discipleship. Verse 6, Jesus continuing the Beatitudes. He says, blessed, fully satisfied, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will, or they shall, be satisfied. And so Jesus is making the claim here that the highest form of human satisfaction, the highest level of blessing that you and I can experience is when we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. Now, to get our minds around what in the world he's talking about and what that means, We have to look and understand um, what he's saying when he says that we're to hunger for righteousness. What does he mean? We're to hunger for righteousness. Well, the word um, hunger comes from the Greek word penao, penao. And as is usual, the meaning that Jesus uses here for hunger is, is a lot more intense. It's a lot stronger meaning than what we sort of think about when we think about hunger. And um, one of the ways um, that the word hunger is used, and by the way, this is not the word that Jesus used here, but one of the words in the, in the Greek for hunger that Jesus doesn't use is a word that just simply means, and I want you to hear this, it just means you sort of want something. It means you, you have inside of you a desire for something. Jesus doesn't use that word. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. And I've been talking about Whataburger a lot in my sermon, so I'm going to talk about Chick-fil-A for a second. 
One of the things I find myself often desiring and wanting is a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit. Can I get an amen? Anybody? And what Chick-fil-A has done is they've taken two of my favorite things, which is fried chicken and biscuits, and they put them together. And they're buttery and flaky, and they're awesome, right? Well, I live at, uh, at Pastor Chuck and Maureen's house. That's where I've been living over the past month or so. I've been here. We're actually closing on our house on Friday, praise God. And so we're finally moving my family here. I've been going, yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's really cool. I'm excited about sleeping in my own bed. I love Chuck and Maureen. They're, they're have become dear friends of mine, but I'm ready to live in my own house. And, but here's, here's one of the reasons I'm ready to live in my own house is because every morning when I leave Pastor Chuck's house on the way to Sagemont, I have to drive past the Chick-fil-A. And I'm not joking, this happens every single morning of my life. Um, I, I drive past Chick-fil-A, I'm always hungry, and because of that, when, I, when I'm driving past it, I have the same internal battle. Every, I'm not joking, this happens every morning. I have this internal battle, do I pull in and do I get one, or do I keep driving? And inevitably, I talk myself out of it. Most mornings, I talk myself out of it. You know, I think, hey, I don't need the calories, I don't need the carbs, I don't need to be sluggish when I'm working on my sermon, and so I drive past the Chick-fil-A. Okay, that kind of hunger, there's actually words for it in the Greek and the New Testament, but that kind of hunger just means you have a desire for something. You want something, but, hear this, you have the ability to turn it down. You don't want it bad enough for you to just sort of drive on past it. And that's actually not the word that Jesus uses here in this verse. Jesus uses the Greek word panaho. It's got a much stronger, it's a, it's a much more intense form of hunger. When he says your hung, hunger for righteousness, and here's what the word panao means. And, and listen carefully, this is critical for the sermon. A better translation of the word panao is not you hunger for something, but you, you crave it. Or you're literally, probably an even better translation than that is you're starving for it. And by the way, that's the exact same meaning of the word when he says thirst. It's an intense meaning of the word thirst. It means you're dying for thirst. And so these words carry with it the idea, not the meaning that you just sort of want something or that you really sort of desire something, but it carries with it the idea of you literally have to have it. You're just starving for it. You're dying for it. You're craving it. Now, here's the thing. We throw that word in the United States out a lot. I'm, I'm guilty of saying I am craving or I'm starving for a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit. My wife is not a chicken biscuit gal. She loves chocolate cake. And so she's like, man, I'm, I'm dying. I'm starving for a piece of chocolate cake. But at the end of the day, even when we say that, we don't really mean that. We're not actually starving for a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit. We just want one, like we desire it, okay? And as a matter of fact, when Jesus says this word that, that we're to starve, for righteousness, that is a concept that most of us in the United States, honestly, it's difficult for, even, for us to even get our minds around what that even looks like or what that means. Because actual starvation is something that most people in the United States have never experienced. Okay, and so um, y'all know what I'm talking about. If, and this is obviously not true for everybody in the United States, but most of you grew up, you had three meals a day. And between your three meals, you had a pantry full of food that you could go to and you could get a snack if you ever experienced the sensation of, of hunger. And so when Jesus tells us that you're, you're supposed to starve for something, we don't even really sort of even know what that means or what it looks like. 
You guys remember um, my friend Dudu from Rwanda who was here last week and um, he led worship for our services and he led worship on Wednesday night. If you missed that, it's a friend of mine and he grew up in Rwanda and he was one of five kids in his family and his father was killed in the Rwandan genocide and so his mother was left to raise them all by themselves, five kids all by themselves in Rwanda and so Dudu grew up in incredible poverty. And guys, I'm not talking about American poverty. I'm talking about next level poverty, third world, you don't know where your next meal is coming from kind of poverty. And I asked him the other day, we were driving around and I asked him, I said, man, what's the biggest difference in living in the United States and living in Rwanda? And what he said was fascinating. What he said, he said, Matt, biggest difference is that I'm, I'm learning here in America to have fun. And I thought that was an interesting way to answer that question. What's the biggest difference between growing up in Rwanda and being in America? He said, I'm learning to have fun. And I asked him, well, what do you, what do you mean that you're learning to have fun? And he replied, well, it's, it's hard to have fun when you're starving. He said, man, I spent most of my childhood just trying to survive, just trying to figure out where, where my next meal was come from. He said, I was always hungry. And so it's hard to have fun <laughs> when you're always hungry. He said, here in America, he said, I have money. He goes, I can, I can go to H-E-B anytime I want to. If I'm even feeling the sensation of hunger, he said, I can drive into McDonald's. They'll just give me food. And he said, so I'm learning not to always just be surviving, but I'm, I'm learning to just have fun and enjoy my life. And most of us in the room today, in the sound of my voice, you have absolutely no idea what that's like. I know I, I never have. We have no idea what it's like to be so hungry and so driven by hunger that that's the only thing you can focus on. It's the only thing that drives you is you're so hungry that you've got to find food. And guys, that is the word that Jesus uses. That's the word that he uses. Jesus isn't saying, hey, blessed are you if you sort of want righteousness like a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit. He's saying, blessed are you if you are so driven by your hunger for righteousness that that's all you can focus on. You can't focus on anything else. Y'all see how this is an intense text. And so let's take a minute here and look at what is it that Jesus is saying we are to be starving for? What is this thing, this righteousness that we're supposed to be driven and singularly focused on In Matthew chapter five, verse six, look at it again. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, panao, starving for righteousness. What is this thing that we're supposed to be starving for and driven to? He said, it's righteousness. Now, righteousness, we could do a whole sermon on that word, but it basically means holiness, It means right standing with God. It means goodness. It means Christ-like living. Okay, that's righteousness. That's what we're supposed to be starving for. Now, I want you to think about, guys, how crazy that statement sounds to a lost world that doesn't know the Lord. For the world that has never experienced the blessing that comes from the righteousness of God and the gospel and walking in holiness... That statement is absolutely insane. Think about it. This guy rolls up on the scene and he's preaching in front of a crowd of people and he says, hey everybody, the highest form of human blessing you'll ever experience is when you're starving for holiness. The world would think that's insane. 
for, to think about that to, to a world that's pursuing all this stuff, for a guy to walk on the scene and say, hey, the highest form of human blessing, it's not found in food. It's not found in money. It's not found in pleasure or power or approval or, or vacations or anything. It's found in Jesus. It's a crazy statement. But that's exactly what Jesus was screaming from the rooftops. His whole ministry, don't turn there, just listen, watch. John chapter four, verse 32 but Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. So the disciples said to one another, has, has anyone brought him something to eat? He thought he was just, uh, they thought he was looking at them and saying, hey guys, I've, I've got some food I hadn't even told you about. It's really good. I'm going to pull it out and eat it here in a second. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's a completely different kind of food. In verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus' point here was that a new kingdom had come. A new kingdom had come, and in this new kingdom, Jesus is saying there's something that's so important, there's something that's so vital, there's something that's so critical for you to have in your life that you ought to starve for it and hunger for it and thirst for it even more than you do food, and it's righteousness. And guys, that's when the sermon started getting convicting for me. <laughs> As I sat there and I thought, man, I don't know that I really crave righteousness. I want it. I know I need it, but I don't know if I crave it. And then the next part of the sermon is when it got really convicting for me. Let's look at the text one more time. Verse 6. He said, blessed are those, fully satisfied are those who hunger and thirst, are starving for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, there's an interesting thing in that phrase for righteousness that gives us an idea of what it is that Jesus is asking us to starve for. We know it's holy living but, or, or Christ-likeness, but what does that actually look like? How much righteousness is, are we supposed to be starving for? Are, are we supposed to sort of want righteousness? Are we supposed to, um, I mean, do we want to be mostly righteous? Like what kind of righteousness are we supposed to be hungering for? And to understand the kind of righteousness Jesus is saying we should be starving for, this is one of those times where we need to look at the original language because there's some detail in there that gives us a, a hint of what this whole thing looks like. Now, I'm going to nerd out for a second on the Greek so y'all just hang with me. But typically in the Greek language, you would follow the verb hungering and thirsting, uh, thirsting with what is called the partitive genitive, which is the genitive of the part. Now, that's a fancy way of saying that when you hunger for something, when a, when a Greek person was hungering for something, they were just hungering for a part of that thing, whatever it is they were hungering for. In other words, if a, if a Greek person was saying, hey, I hunger for bread, they were saying that I'm hungering for a piece of bread. They weren't saying, I'm hungering for the entire bakery. That's the genitive partitive. I'm hungering for a piece of bread. If they were saying, hey, I'm, I'm thirsting for water, they would always use the genitive partitive, which means I'm thirsting for a drink of water. They weren't saying, I'm, I'm thirsting for the entire well, right? But here, in a really weird 
and sort of unusual fashion for the Greek language, Jesus, when he says, with hunger for righteousness, he doesn't use that genitive partitive, which means the part, but he uses what's called a direct accusative. Now hear this. Which doesn't mean a piece of something, but it means the whole thing. And so when, so when a person was using the direct accusative in the context of bread and water, it would be like them saying, I'm hungering not for a piece of bread, but the whole bakery. And I'm hungering not for a single drink of water, but I'm hungering for the, or thirsting rather, for the entire well of water. Are you starting to see what Jesus is saying? Jesus isn't saying, blessed are you if you hunger for a little bit of righteousness. He's not saying blessed are you when you have a desire to be mostly righteous. What Jesus is literally saying here is blessed are you when you're starving for the complete and total absolute righteousness of Jesus Christ. You will be satisfied. And when I realized that, that he was talking about the direct accusative, that I just don't want part of his righteousness, but when I'm starving for all of it, I stopped and said, oh, Lord, I don't see this in my life. And so I want to sort of spend the rest of my time today in the sermon, and I want to I ask you a really important question. And I'm speaking to believers here. I'm asking this question to those of you that are Christians. I want you to evaluate your heart, and I want you to answer this question honestly, because I've been doing it all week. And that's how much do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Really, how much? Do you sort of want it? Do you kind of want it pretty badly? Or, or do you have that panao, starving, driven hunger that Jesus is talking about here? You know, the hard reality is that when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to holiness, when it, when it comes to us really and truly giving all of our hearts, minds, and soul and strength to Jesus, what I've sort of realized in my life and a lot of our lives is that we sort of want it like I want a Chick-fil-A biscuit or a piece of cake. We, we like it. We want it. We know it's good for us. We know it even tastes good. But if, it's dead, if we're dead honest, we don't starve for it. We don't starve for it like a starving man starves for food. We don't thirst for it like a person dying of thirst, thirst for water. And so knowing that the Beatitudes are not suggestions, but they're things that Jesus is saying are going to show up in your life if you're a believer. That is such an important question. Do you see this beatitude in your life? Do you see a growing trend of hunger for Jesus in your heart and in your life? Do you? Listen, there's, there's actually a way, I thought about it, there's a way you can answer that question today. Believer, there's a way. Then you can sort of know for sure Man, am I, am I really starving for righteousness? If I'm, am I driven by righteousness? Am I driven by this desire for Jesus? Here's a way you can absolutely 100% know for sure if you are, and it's by answering one simple question. And here's the question. Is Jesus your greatest desire? Just 
I'm not talking about on Sunday morning we're, we're in the third chorus of some song. I'm talking about Tuesday afternoon at work. Is Jesus your greatest desire? Is he your greatest desire or does your heart crave and starve for other things more than it does Jesus? It's a simple way to know. If you're here and you're like, Matt, honestly, if I'm dead honest, Pastor Matt, I find my heart craving and starving for financial security more than I do the Lord. If you're like, Pastor Matt, I, if I'm honest, career advancement is something that I crave for and I long for and I starve for more than Jesus, physical pleasure, influence, power, perfect body, health, political agenda, even good things like a, like a perfect family. If there's anything in your life that if you're completely honest, you go, yep, I'm pursuing this. I'm starving for this. My heart longs for this more than it longs for and pursues and starves for Jesus. Then you're probably not hungering and thirsting for righteousness like Jesus called us to. And it's really simple when you think about it. Because, guys, everybody look at me, check this out. If you're dying of thirst, what's going to be your greatest desire? Water. If you're starving for food, what's going to be your greatest desire? It's going to be food. And so if you're truly hungering and thirsting, panao, for righteousness, then what's going to be your greatest desire? It's going to be Jesus and his righteousness. Y'all seeing why I got convicted? <laughs> this is what Jesus is saying. And so if you're there and you're like, Matt, yeah, there, there's some things that I'm hungering for more than Jesus and his righteousness. Look, as believers, there are gonna be times in your life where that happens. You're not gonna always, every day of your life, thirst and hunger for Jesus like that. But if you're like, man, I see a constant pattern in my life where Jesus is sitting somewhere, second, third, fourth, fifth place. That's something you gotta take really serious today. Something you got to get to the bottom of. And how I know that is in the story of the, the rich young ruler. Y'all remember the story of the rich young ruler? There was a rich young guy that came up to Jesus and he asked him a question. He said, how do I inherit eternal life? Now I want you to think about that, church. Here's a guy that wanted eternal life. He wanted to go to heaven. Who doesn't? He said, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus makes an interesting response. He was actually testing him. He said, if you keep all the commandments, you'll live. The young guy asked an important question. He says, which one of the commandments? I want to make sure I'm doing this. And Jesus said, basically all of them, he listed them. And the rich young guy thought, sweet, I got this. I've been doing all those since I was a kid, I'm going to heaven when I die. And then Jesus says, oh yeah, but buddy, there's one more thing you gotta do. Jesus said, sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor. And he says, you're gonna have treasure in heaven. And then Jesus said the most important part. He said, hey, sell your stuff, give your possessions to the poor, and then follow me and you'll live, okay? You guys know the story. What did the guy do? He's like, yep, I wanna go to heaven. 
I'm going to sell all my stuff, give it to the poor. I want my treasure to be in heaven, and Jesus, I'm in. Sign me up. That's not what he did. Scripture says that he turned around and he walked away saddened because he was very rich. Now listen carefully. Don't miss. If you don't hear anything I say today, I want you, I want you to hear this. What Jesus was revealing to this guy is that there was something in his life that he hungered for more than Jesus. And what Jesus was revealing to him, listen, was that money sat on the throne of his heart. He's like, it's great that you're doing all these religious things, but there's a big problem. Jesus said, there's something sitting on the throne of your heart other than me. And if you want to have eternal life, then here's what you got to do. You got to take that thing off the throne of your heart and you got to put me there and then follow me. And then you'll live. And here's the thing. The guy loved money so much that he couldn't fathom giving it up. So he knew he couldn't do it. And he walked away. It's really sad, actually. I want you to listen to me one more time really carefully here, really carefully. Something hit me a couple days ago. The guy says, how do I inherit eternal life? Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, come here, brother, let's bow our heads and pray the sinner's prayer? Do you notice that? Jesus didn't say, yeah, yeah, come here, come here, let's pray the sinner's prayer. When the guy said, how do I inherit eternal life, Jesus said, take the thing that's on, on, on the throne of your heart and take it off. Put me there. Follow me. I can't tell you guys how many times over the years I've seen people have some sort of emotional experience with Jesus, and they maybe even walked an aisle, and they think they're saved, but they never once turned from the sin in their life. They never once turned from their idolatry. Maybe they walked some aisle, but they never actually took the thing that was the God of their life and took it off the throne of their heart and let Jesus actually have their heart and then begin to actually follow Jesus. The rich young ruler, this is the thing that's scary. The rich young ruler actually wanted Jesus but he didn't want him bad enough to take money off the throne of his heart. And he walked away. You guys remember what Jesus said after it? Matt, don't turn there, just listen. Matthew 19, 23. This happened, the guy walks away. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich person to get to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is not easy to do, to put a camel through an eye of a needle. I've never tried it, but it sounds hard. But Jesus is basically saying, it's almost impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say, but nothing is impossible with God. God can change a person's heart. And by the way, let me say this, because when I was younger, I used to let myself off the hook on that verse, because I'm like, I'm not rich. But here's the thing that hit me one day, is that if you live in the United States in the 21st century, you are far richer than 99.9% of anybody that's ever lived in the history of the world. This verse is talking about us. Why does Jesus say it's so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because it's really hard to realize that you're starving for Jesus 
when you're constantly gorging yourself on the stuff of the world. And rich people have a lot of stuff. And so if you're here today, you're like, Matt, I am not hungering and thirsting for Jesus and his righteousness. It very well may be, bottom line, it's because you're trying to fill that hunger and you're trying to feel that desire with something that at the end of the day or some person or something that, that just simply does not have the ability to do it. Jesus says there's one thing that's gonna bring you satisfaction in your life, and it's, it's me. It's righteousness. And that brings us to the last thing that Jesus says here. In verse six, he says, blessed are those who hunger and they thirst Panao for his complete righteousness, watch what he says, for they will be satisfied. That's the promise of Jesus, that we actually get to that place in our life where we are so driven by our desire for Jesus, that we're so driven by our desire for righteousness and holiness that he becomes sort of the singular focus. We're like taking stuff off the throne of our heart. We're putting him there. Here's the promise. Jesus says, you're gonna find something there on the other side of that. It's called It's called satisfaction. You're gonna be satisfied. Now here's the crazy thing, guys. I've actually found it to be true. As I look back on my life, and I look at the times in my life where I have been hungering the most, and I have been thirsting the most for Jesus, and there's been some times in my life where I'm like, I don't want that, I don't want that, get that stuff away from me, I'm good, Jesus, you're all I want. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys remember when you first started walking with Jesus and you went through that first love phase? He was the most important thing in your life. You didn't care about anything else. Remember the satisfaction you felt in those moments. I found it to be true. When I was uh, 31 years old, tell you a quick story about this and we're done. But when I was 31 years old, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I had appendicitis, went to the doctor, they told me I had appendicitis, they cut my appendix out, felt great, and then I, I got a call, I was sitting at my desk, I got a call about three days later, and it was from my doctor, and she said, hey, I want to let you know that we found a malignant tumor in your appendix, 1.9 centimeter malignant tumor, and she went on to tell me, they said, Matt, They normally spread to the lymph nodes at two centimeters. Yours was at 1.9. Sometimes they spread sooner. Sometimes they spread later. She went on to say that if they spread into your lymph nodes, there's nothing we can do. That's the kind of cancer chemo doesn't work on. And he said, so what we need to do is we need to go in. We need to give you a CAT scan. We need to see if your lymph nodes are swollen. And then we'll go from there. He said, if they don't spread into the lymph nodes, then... You usually never, ever see it again. You're good. And so he said, I want you to just take it easy. Come back and see me in three months. We'll do another CAT scan. And, um, or actually, we went and did the CAT scan initially to see where we're at, and the lymph nodes were swollen. And so here we are. I'm 31 years old. I've got swollen lymph nodes near the tumor. And he said, Matt, it's one of two things. He said, either those are swollen from the surgery itself or it's swollen because the cancer got out. It's in the lymph nodes. We're not going to know for three months. Come back in three months. We'll do this again. So I spent three months of my life as a 31-year-old guy not knowing whether I was going to live or going to die. I got little babies. 
I got a church that I just planted. I was scared to death. If you've ever gotten that phone call, you know what it's like. You just want answers, but I had three months of my life where I did not know whether I was dying or I was gonna be fine. And here's the thing. Here's what I discovered in those three months. And if you've ever walked through cancer as a believer, you've discovered this too, is I began to hunger and thirst for Jesus like I never had in my entire life. Because here's what you discover, man. Here's what you discover. There's something about cancer that makes you not give a rip about your bank account. <laughs> There's something about cancer that make, makes you not care one bit about career advancement. There's, there's something about cancer that makes you just, you couldn't care less about what kind of car you drive or how big a house you live in. You just don't care. There, there's something about not knowing whether you're gonna live or you're gonna die that made me realize that none of that stuff mattered anymore and I might be really closely on the way to seeing Jesus face to face. And so in those three months, I'm telling you, I didn't hunger or thirst for anything but taking care of my family and making sure I got right with Jesus. Y'all with me? When you know you're, you might be dying, you get right with Jesus. I, I read my Bible every single day. Every single day I read my Bible just pouring over the word of God, just trying to soak out every drop of hope and encouragement. I prayed like my life depended on it. I'm not talking about, hey, Lord, I pray you'd bless this food and whatever in the name of Jesus. I'm talking about on my knees, praying like, a, praying like a, you know, somebody that actually believed that God might be able to save me. Praying with passion. Crying out to God. I confessed every sin I ever did in my life. Everything I ever thought maybe I did, I, I just, I got right with Jesus. And here's the thing, God was true to his promise. And I realized it for the first time right before I found out that the lymph nodes were not swollen, that it had not spread, that I was gonna be fine. It was on the last couple of days before I found out and I was going back in to the doctor to get that CAT scan again and I was in the cancer ward there at the place in Austin and I'm looking around and there's all these people that are just dying and I'm scared to death because I know I'm about to get the CAT scan and find out. And so I opened up my Bible and I started reading about the crucifixion and I came to a really interesting place. It was the place where Jesus was on the cross and the Roman soldiers were mocking him. They were mocking them. They said something interesting to Jesus as he hung on the cross. They said, Jesus, I thought you trusted God. If you say you trust God, trust him to get you off the cross. You trust God, trust him to take you down. And guys, I, the Holy Spirit just spoke as loudly and clearly to my heart as I've ever heard him in my entire life, this came to my mind, this came to my heart, crystal clear. Holy Spirit said, sometimes trusting God means you don't get to get off the cross. 
Sometimes trusting God means you don't get off the cross. Jesus was trusting God by staying on the cross. Jesus trusted God by staying in the suffering. Getting off the cross would have been not trusting God. So I went and got the CAT scan, went back to my office. I got on my knees, and for the first time in the whole ordeal, I just fully surrendered the whole thing to God. And I said, Lord, and I meant it. I meant every ounce of it. I said, God, if you want to take my life, I trust you. If you want to keep me on this cross for your glory, I trust you. And I hungered and I thirsted for him in a way that I've never experienced before. And it's like the second I prayed that prayer, there was a burden that just came off of me. And I experienced a peace in that moment, guys. I experienced just an overwhelming sense of joy in that moment that I had never experienced in my life except for maybe at my salvation, than when I did in that moment. I was satisfied. Wasn't afraid, wasn't scared, wasn't striving. I was at peace. In a deep and profound way, hear this. That's what I learned that day. I learned something that day. I learned that when Jesus is all you have, you realize that Jesus is all you need. I love that y'all say amen. I want you to keep doing it. It encourages me. It really does. But you just said amen, but do you mean it? Because I'm standing here on this stage, man. I don't know if I mean it. When Jesus is all you have, you realize that Jesus is all you need. And it's true. It's completely and totally and utterly true. But it's so easy for us to forget it. It was a time in my life where I hungered for him the most that I found him to be most satisfying. And so if there's something in your life today that you're like, yep, Matt, I'm going after this more than I am the Lord, at the end of the day, you're doing that because you think it can satisfy you, not Jesus, and that is just false. And I pray that it doesn't take something like cancer to show you that like it did me. And so today, as you've thought about your heart and your mind and your soul, and you're like, Matt, yeah, there is, there's some things I've been hungering for. There's some things I'm thirsting for that aren't Jesus. I'm a believer. I love him. He's sitting on the throne of my heart, but I find myself going after all these things. I think that maybe the old hymn says it best on what we need to do today. The old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Stop looking at all the other things you think are gonna bring you that peace and joy that I talked about. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. But don't stop there. It says look full. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's true. Let's ask God to do that in our hearts today.